Welcome to the Table Leadership Podcast, where everyone is invited to pull up a seat, and all leaders have a voice to contribute to the conversation. We're glad you could join us today. And now, your host, Sian Edgerton. before your name because of the many various ways that you have poured into my life, the great Reverend Bishop, Dr. John Chandler. But um, no, you are just dear, dear, dear John Chandler to me. Um, And so do us a favor just real quick for everyone that doesn't know you the way that I do. Um, Just introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about who you are, where you're from, you know, what you do, anything by means of, of letting people really see your heart. Well, thanks, Sian. Um, It's an honor to be in conversation with you always. I always feel like I learned so much from you and um, just being with you. And so I really appreciate you uh, having me on today. Um, I'm John Chandler. I am um, uh, honored to be, happy to be in my hometown of Chapel Hill, North Carolina, which is my home again. Uh, because I am deep down a Tar Heel, even in the midst of a bad basketball season. <laughs> and um, uh, my wife, Mary, and I, who have been married 35 years, live here very happily together. And we are more proximate to our sons, uh, Preston and his wife, Maria, and our precious granddaughters, Nora and Emily. And to our other precious son, Roland, his wife, Julia, who are on staff at a Spanish-speaking church in Charlotte. And uh, we're also able to take care of my aging parents moving back here. So after 32 years in Virginia, we're really glad to be back in Chapel Hill. And so that's where I'm, that's where I am today. That's awesome. And we actually, uh, just a couple of years ago, I guess it was, had the opportunity to come visit Chapel Hill and be part of some of the things that you were doing. So such a sweet little place. And I know you've made a huge impact there and other places as well. And so we'll talk about that eventually. Um, but I have to open by asking you the same thing that I ask everybody, uh, because of course, my two great loves in life are leadership and food. Um, and you know, then there's my family and my children and, and things like that. But leadership and food are, are up there for sure. And so I always ask everybody, if you and I were gathering leaders around a table, live and in person, not a virtual table, but if we were actually gathering leaders to invest into them and pour into them, which you do on a regular basis, and I have been part of many of those gatherings, sitting around a table, gleaning from your wisdom, um, what would you be feeding us? Yeah, I actually think that's a um, profound question, Uh, and I believe very much in the table as far as part of disciple making. Mm. And I say that because it's incredible as you read through the gospels, how frequently Jesus is found at table and discussing food uh, as part of his larger conversations around discussing discipleship. So uh, just props even for the question, because I think it is, um, it's actually critical in how we think about forming Uh, discipleship relationships. So I have a new favorite answer as of this week. Uh, This past week, I was with an uptick group in Toronto, and we were doing work with the Tyndale Intercultural Ministry Center, the Tim Center from Tyndale University in Toronto, uh, led by a guy named Tim Tang. 
and it was an absolutely brilliant exercise, a series of exercises from Tim around intercultural intelligence. Mm. And so um, one of the goals is to get beyond uh, what he calls, what is it, fashion, food, and, um, and fun, as far as, as how we inter- interact with other cultures. But we all know that those things are, are entrees into the more profound conversations. So we went one day uh, to uh, a first for me. It was a Filipino restaurant, and we had what was called a boodle fight. So this I had never heard of before. But a group of about 15 of us uh, walked down the block and went to this uh, small Filipino restaurant in which this long table was spread out for us with high as a high top table with high chairs. And the Filipino owners of the restaurant were so excited that a group of Americans and Canadians were coming in that they were taking pictures of us <laughs> as we were coming there for lunch that day. And on this long table, uh, was spread an incredible assortment of uh, fresh seafood. And everyone had a little pot of rice uh, on the table in front of their uh, seat. And you sat down and with no utensils or no napkins, uh, everyone ate around the table. So you know, it's uh, squid and other things with tentacles and stuff like that in front of you, which for some of the people in our group was a real stretch. And eating with your hands was a real stretch, too, especially sure. right now in the middle of the COVID hysteria and all of that. But it was an awesome experience. And uh, you learn how to share and interact and talk about people with people across the table. Would you like this? And you just you just sort of very enmeshed with the food and with the people itself. So I'm, I'm all about the boodle fight right now. Okay. Good to know. I, I'm trying to figure out right now if that is an invitation or challenge for me. Like, am I glad that my uptick days are already behind me or do I still want to be at a table with John Chandler, you know, putting <laughs> my hands into a bowl of squid? That, that I love it. That's fantastic. And I love that, that idea of that intercultural intelligence and, and work that you guys were mixing in. So that's, that's awesome. And so good to know. John, you would gather us around a table and have us dig with our hands into seafood. It's fantastic. I I think I'm trying to think back, but I'm pretty certain that at this point, that has got to be the most unique answer I have received so far to the question of what would you be feeding us? Well, I mean, it's a fascinating experiment, right? Because it was a a portal into understanding Filipino culture. Here's Here's a culture that has been enslaved at least three significant times in recent generational memory. And so they believe that at least one of the origin stories for a boodle fight was uh, is that that this is how the military had to serve uh, their people and just pour the food out on the table and no time for niceties around utensils and things like that. You had to eat quickly and eat communally so that you were prepared to fight together. Sure. Yeah. And to, to be part of that. That's what an amazing experience. I love it. That's, that's actually a great answer. I remember, um, there's just something really sweet and sacred about, you know, not just sharing a meal with people, but really actually, you know, being eating communally. I remember one of the first times we went to Africa, we were in this village 
and uh, we were staying for dinner and that's exactly, you know, how it was. And it was very, um, you know, custom was that the men had the one side of the square on which they ate and the women had the other, but it was just these giant bowls of chicken and vegetables and they brought out bread and everybody sat down on the ground in the village square around these bowls and everybody's, you know, reaching in and just grabbing handfuls of food and slapping it on the bread and and eat. And it was, there was just something really sweet about getting to share that moment, especially when it was so far removed from my own version of what dinner might look like. So I love, 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 love that answer. That's good. And so then to go along with that, the other thing that um, I want to ask is what is it that you bring to the leadership table? And because I know you the way that I do, I know that there is a lot that we could talk about and and many, many answers to that conversation. And and you have just just invested in my life and my leadership in, in so many ways that have been absolutely transformational. But if you had to kind of in this season of your life, focus on and and highlight a couple things, what would you say you bring to the leadership table right now? I think um, you mentioned the words invitation and challenge, uh, which did not originate with me, but they're shorthand for invitation to relationship and challenge for responsibility. And I think learning how to calibrate those two things is at the heart of leadership when run through the lens of discipleship. So it's the manner of how Jesus interacted with those who followed him. And I more and more want that to be a part of how I interact with other people too. So I would say, you know, I'm very intentional about finding people with whom I can uh, engage. And it's not just me offering invitation and challenge, but also other people offering me invitation and challenge too in terms of developing both more the character of Christ and also the skills of somebody who follows Christ well. And so if you could, for someone not familiar with the concept, this idea of invitation and challenge, if you could kind of define or explain or break that down a little bit, when we talk about the idea of relating to one another from this place of uh, balancing invitation and challenge, what do you really mean by that? Well, I never use the word balance. I always use the word rhythm. Because right. I think discipleship is a, is a moving thing. Uh, the goal in life is not to be balanced, but to be living in good rhythm with the Spirit of God. And I think that invitation and challenge is a way of framing what Mike Green calls uh, the double helix of the Bible. The, very, the core, the DNA of the Scripture itself uh, is the story of God's invitation for us to be in covenant relationship with him, to find our own identity in the words spoken to Jesus at his baptism, you are my beloved, the one with whom I'm well pleased. And then corresponding to that is the challenge to live out of that identity in a mission that is is in step with the, the ongoing journey and work of Jesus himself. So that takes us into places we might not ordinarily go, like a boot and fight, And uh, it causes us to want to live as people who have been marked by that covenant relationship identity. That's good. And I think, you know, too, for some of us, sometimes it's cultural, sometimes it's personality based. 
one or the other of those two parts of the helix is going to come more naturally to us. We're either going to naturally be in our relationship with others more invitational, or sometimes we're naturally going to be more challenging. Um, And what does it kind of look like when we are out of rhythm, as you would say, when we're either leaning too heavily into invitation or too heavily into challenge and we haven't actually found a good rhythm, what, what does that look like? And what are some of the detriments of that? That's a, that's a great question and, and a common situation, right? Sure. I, I think, first of all, we know uh, often when we're out of rhythm uh, with that, we know when things aren't sitting well with us. I think God does give us, I, you know, I would call it ultimately through the testimony of the Holy Spirit, but through our, our uh, intuition or through relationships not running well, um, through a kind of exhaustion, fatigue, or stress, or whatever. These are all indicators that that our rhythm is not good. Um, Sometimes that that indication may be blind to us, but obvious to others. And if we have good enough friends, they'll tell us. Uh, I think one of the, the great purposes of marriage over the long haul is that God gives you a mirror to see things about you that you cannot see about yourself. So, you know, part of the journey of becoming a, a more mature person, let alone disciple, is just to reduce the size of your blind spot. And a spouse or a close friend, um, you know, is somebody who helps you do that by saying, you may not be aware of how you are coming across here, but you're either getting, let's say, lazy on one end or mean on the other end of the continuum. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you take those things pretty seriously. Um, and and discern that those are sometimes just ways of saying, hey, you're out of you're out of calibration, invitation and challenge wise, and these are opportunities for that rhythm to to uh, shift. That's good. So with that then, because depending on, you know, how we're wired with one being easier than the other, what are some of the difficulties of either of those, you know, holding those in tandem? What are the difficulties of operating in invitation? What do we sometimes find hard just about invitation itself? And what are some of the difficulties of operating in challenge? I think um, that you can fall into either, uh, into a ditch on either side of the road, right? So if, if you're leaning too hard on the invitation side of things, I think the ditch you fall into is coziness. I think that it's uh, very easy, you know, as the parable of the um, sower goes, uh, that the cares of the world and the lures of riches and things like this, um, it just becomes very easy to move into a soft and fur-lined life that, um, you know, says, hey, it's good here. I don't need to go anywhere. I'm, I'm comfortable. Um, and, and I guess it's sort of the ditch of complacency. Mm-hmm. Um, on, the, on the challenge side of thing, I think the markers of, of the problems falling too far over that direction are marked by stress. Mm. So it could be stress that I'm bearing within my own body, stress that's in a relationship that I treasure or stress that I am creating in the lives of others. And there's a, you know, there's a healthy stress that, that uh, gets us out of bed in the morning and tells us to do something. Um, 
And there's a tipping point at which that moves over into something that's no good for anybody. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what happens when, uh, when I get over too far into the, to the um, high challenge part of life. I'm either challenging people or I'm being challenged in ways that are, that are causing distress Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in the lives, uh, in my own heart or in the lives around me. That's good. And as you're talking, I'm thinking about how relevant this is for any relationship that we're part of. I mean, ultimately we are created for family and community. And, and I mean, the greatest thing that we do on this earth is to connect with and relate to one another and to do that in the way that Jesus did with this mix of invitation and challenge, this applies in all of our relationships. I mean, I'm thinking simultaneously about my marriage. I'm thinking about my parenthood and my relationship with the children that I'm raising and how they there is both an invitation and challenge there. I'm thinking about my interactions with my team for the business that I'm running. And I'm thinking about even leading the church where I'm currently pastoring right now and the congregation there. And in all of these different spaces, family and friendship and business and leadership and, and church and community, ultimately it, it does, it comes down to this invitation and challenge. And so can you give a in, in any one of those spheres, whatever feels the most natural to you, Could you give a practical example of, hey, if I am going to walk in invitation and challenge with somebody, can you give a little practical example from your own experience or even just an illustration of, hey, here's what that looks like. Here's what that sounds like for someone who's listening and says, wow, I love this idea of operating an invitation and challenge. Um, Where do I start? That's another great question. I, you know, it's, it's, um, it's a law of physics that objects moving in proximity with one another will occasionally experience collision and friction mm-hmm. and maybe more, more than occasionally, depending on how proximate they are and how fast they're moving. So I do find that the closer I am to somebody, the more frequent those things are and the more, um, the, the, the faster the pace or the more moving there is, um, the, the higher speed those collisions can be. So I would say, you know, the principle, the principal experience of that for me has been in marriage and Mary and I have an amazing marriage and a long marriage. Her parents were married 75 years. We're going to see if we can top that. Wow. Um, but you know, daily, we are very close to each other and we've got a lot to do in this world. And so it just means uh, frequent collisions and friction. And I would say, you know, one of the things that we try to do with that is, is uh, we, we use the, the phrase, keep short accounts. So don't let a little thing become a big thing. Don't let the sun go down in your anger. Um, the art of this is you just can't, I just can't come at my beloved every time um, there's a little bit of toothpaste in the sink. I have to, I have to say of some things is, is this really, is this really enough to warrant a conversation? Because if so, we're going to have a hundred conversations with each other during the course of the day. So, you know, the art of, of living well, uh, together in relationship, covenant relationship, is there's kind of a threshold of a number of those bumps, collisions, 
the severity of those, the frequency and, and that kind of thing, below which you just say, hey, look, I'm going to say this is part of life together. This is not a big deal. Didn't kill you. Keep moving. Don't stuff it, but don't dwell on it and ruminate on it either. And don't bring it up later in an argument as part of the kitchen sink of all the reasons I'm mad about something today. Just, just go on. Just the lubrication of forgiveness and grace is a great thing. And then if there is something that's more than a little piece of toothpaste in the sink, but, but maybe like something hurtful or something, don't let the sun go down in your anger. And um, if because of trauma in your life or other things like that, that things are not the kind of thing that you can easily sort out day to day and so forth, that's time to look for, for some help with somebody else who can be a mirror for, for you. I had a really um, wise woman um, in Toronto this past week who teaches um, marriage and family counseling at, in, in Toronto say that there's a, there's a fundamental construct she uses that says there are three circles in any significant relationship. There's what's yours, there's what's mine, and there's what's ours. Mm-hmm. So, you know, wisdom in living well is figuring out, does this belong to you? And you need to work on that. Nothing I can do for you about that. Does it belong to me? And nothing you can do for me as I work on that. Or does this belong to that third thing? That is our relationship itself. And we have to, to do that work together. If, if I could, in the course of every day, figure out with clarity what's yours, mine, and ours, then um, I'd have it made, right? Yeah, that, I know. I'm thinking the same thing. Like, oh, my goodness. I, <laughs> I need clarity on that right there. I love that. What's yours, what's mine, and what's ours? And, and letting that be the lead for figuring out, okay, what are we addressing? What are we not addressing? How are we addressing it? How are we moving forward in covenant relationship together? That's awesome. And so then my next question would be, um, because I'm thinking about, you know, the two different types of people, just out of curiosity, for those of us who come from more of a Western culture, culturally, and I know personality wise, there's going to be a lot of differences. um, But culturally, do you feel like we tend to lean more towards invitation or challenge? Hmm. I don't, I don't know that I can give an across the board answer to that. Okay. Um, Because I I think it's far more nuanced than just being able to say one of the other. So I think for instance, of, um, you know, I've I've been to school both on the East coast and on the West coast. And I'm, I'm kind of going between those experiences of living in both of those places and there's some things, for instance, about West Coast. You think of West Coast as a little more laid back, maybe a little toward invitation. There's sort of stereotypes around um, the beach and all of this kind of stuff. Yep. But I guarantee you there are, there are high challenge things related to West Coast culture. All you got to do is drive to work, right? <laughs> You'll figure <laughs> out very quickly what high challenge life is, is like. And the same thing's true, you know, the East Coast, too. So I think you have to excavate more below the surface and understand that that 
that word culture is a big old broad world uh, word, and you have to excavate down beneath and to think in terms of uh, regional and local and and even micro cultures, microclimates, things like that, uh, before you can answer that. So I just think it all. That's, I'm sorry that may sound like a weak answer, but I just think it, it's too general to say anything other than it depends. Yeah, no, I think that's a great answer. And I think that just reminds us, regardless of what we're talking about, you know, whether it's the idea of invitation and challenge or whatever it may be, that those conversations are incredibly nuanced. And I think it's way too easy to just paint with a broad brush stroke and overlook some of those little nuances and details. And I think that's critical. And so then the question that I have is for those of us, depending on where we tend to lean more naturally, um, what would be the piece of wisdom or encouragement or maybe practical advice that you would give. So let's say I, and this is not hypothetical, this is real. Okay. I naturally am more geared towards challenge. Challenge comes very easily for me, very naturally for me. I am very challenge growth oriented. So in my relationships with whoever it may be, um, the side of invitation is the one where I really am stretched and where I have to grow the most. And so if there was one reminder, something that I could slap on a post-it note to put on my mirror, to look at every day, to remind me as I'm growing in the area of invitation, what would that be? Well, I can empathize with your (laughs) self-statement because that's exactly where I find myself a lot of the time. And I would say my post-it note would be divert daily, withdraw weekly, abandon annually. Mm-hmm. That's a that's an old line from a guy named Carl George. And it is a reminder for me to calibrate the rhythm of time and space in my life so that I am living in such a way that I can listen well. Mm-hmm. And um, I, you cannot you cannot lead well unless you listen well. And I would far prefer to talk than listen. I would far prefer to do than listen. I would far prefer to jump into tasks and things to be accomplished rather than to uh, wait and listen and gather better information. Uh, So I have to stop daily and listen and create a rhythm to my week, which is challenging which creates a true Sabbath opportunity for listening. Mm -hmm. And I have to schedule finish lines in my life in seasons so that I can, and this is what I mean by abandon annually. I have to have some finish lines. I say, all right, I'm going to stop doing, stop challenging and so forth. And I'm going to create a broad place in my life where I can focus on listening so that I'm able to work out of my rest rather than just simply rest from my work. That's good. And I actually, I remember the first time that I sat under your teaching when I was part of Uptick years ago, and I still have that. I actually just recently brought it up in a sermon that I was preaching, the idea of diverting daily and withdrawing weekly and abandoning annually and embracing those rhythms intentionally and honoring the idea of Sabbath and, you know, everything. It's been transformational. It's huge. And so I can can speak as someone who has listened to that wisdom and put it into practice and seen the fruit of it. That's that's an incredible um, 
invitation right there that you're offering. And so then on the flip side of that coin, though, for someone who struggles with the place of challenge, who tends to be very invitational in their relationships, but and that's what comes more naturally, but struggles on the challenge side, what what should their post-it note read? What bit of what reminder or encouragement would you give to them as they're being grown and stretched in the place of understanding how to offer challenge in a wise and constructive way? Yeah, I think uh, ultimately it um, it's the same answer. You have to you have to put yourself in a posture of listening, truly listening, and. Um, you know, there's a difference between just sort of being cozy and vegging out and, and being still and listening. And I think if you're still and listening, then you can hear uh, the cry of the broken. Mm. And you can begin to see around you the pain that you would miss if you were just cozy and insulated. I, I remember... Um, I remember one uptick group that was uh, really about to fall into the cozy ditch. And we were having a great little time uh, in our holy huddle, <laughs> um, thinking about strengthening our, our connection with God and strengthening our relationships within that group to each other. And uh, our mutual friend, Joe Saxon, was facilitating that group. She picked up on the same thing. And we happened to be meeting in a, in a, in a space that had glass walls around it. And it was raining outside. And these people were walking by, probably somewhat miserable in the rain. And Joe just had us go through a simple exercise of watching people going by and so forth and doing some imagining about where those people were in their lives, where they were spiritually, where they were relationally and so forth. And I mean, just from the broadest statistical way of speaking, it didn't take long for us to imagine that a lot of these folks were lost and in pain. And it's just not okay to sit inside and say, you know, life's good for me, but it sucks for them. It's kind of like the book of James, you know, what good is it to say to somebody, uh, you know, sorry, you're hungry, sorry, you're cold, be warm and well fed and, uh, and, and bid them best of luck. So um, I think if, if invitation, too much invitation, too much coziness is the challenge, then um, looking, looking out helps you. You know, we, like others, use this triangle of, of um, the life lived in concert with Jesus is a life lived up toward God, in toward community, out toward the world. And in my own life, when I've, when I've gotten too cozy, uh, it it's, uh, can be that I'm doing two of those three things, but I'm neglecting one. Mm-hmm. And so I think taking a fearless, moral, searching inventory about what's missing in my life and then giving space to listen and look there. Uh, that usually gets me up and moving again. That'll do it. That's so good. And so 
one last thing that I want to ask you about while we have you, and I would be remiss if we didn't talk about this, and you and I have both been throwing out the term uptick and talking about my time in uptick and what you do with uptick, but obviously there's going to be tons of people listening who have no idea what that means. Um, and so much of this idea of invitation and challenge is just woven into the fabric of you know the, the cloth that is uptick. And so talk to us a little bit about that. What is uptick? Well, I appreciate you asking that. Um, well, uptick in for us represents a cohort of people who are on the front edge of their leadership, their discipleship, and it's a year-long investment in a, in a cohort of six to twelve people uh, around the character and skills associated with leadership through the lens of discipleship. So in other words, we'll take up to a dozen people over the course of a year, learning to live an invitation and challenge with each other to accelerate rapidly a person's character and capacity for leadership. So uh, uptick is a, it's just a, it's a term borrowed. Uh, we started this in 2007. Uh, back then, nobody ever used the word. It's, it's quite common now. Um, and, and it just was a, a term from the financial sector that meant an asset that appreciates with investment. Mm -hmm. And that's what we hope to see happen in the life of a young adult leaders, to see someone who is truly a kingdom asset. And if, if a year in a cohort together can teach them to live well, to live in invitation challenge, to live with the rhythm of life that makes listening possible, then not only can you spare that person tons of damage, right? But you can get them to closer to their best platform for living and leading sooner rather than later. And if you're able to do that with somebody who's 28 years old, then you've got potentially four or five decades of, okay. of accelerated kingdom leadership uh, in front of you and in front of the world. And boy, when that you know, when that begins to take off, that is a beautiful thing to see. Yeah. And that, yeah, it's funny. It's exactly the age that I was when I was invited in to be part of an uptick cohort. I was 28. I had just been ordained and I, I was ordained in November. And then I spent that following next year as part of the uptick voice cohort, which was specifically for women in positions of leadership. And it absolutely, I tell people this still all the time. It was the probably single most transformational thing in my life that completely reframed not only my own personal personal life and walk with Jesus and my own spiritual growth journey, but my leadership as well. And the way that I led and the way that I pastored and, and even the way that I went on after that season to walk fully into the next thing that I felt like God was calling me to. And so just the model that you guys use and the work that you do and the folks that you have is I... I have experienced it personally, and I cannot commend it enough to anybody who's in a place of leadership or wanting to invest in others. And so for someone who, you know, hears the benefits of, of uptick and what it is and what you do, um, who may not be regionally close to where the heart of uptick is really beating the strongest, uh, you now have a resource, which I think is fantastic. Um, talk to us a little bit about your book that just came out and how that can um, help others with 
following the uptick model? Well, first, that's a really kind thing for you to say, and I'm humbled by that. I would say, uh, you know, you're an amazing leader. And I would also say that uh, what happened in your life during that uptick year was in large part um, engendered by the people who were around you as, as, as fellow members of that, of that cohort. And I think that's, that's actually really critical in how we form as disciples and leaders is to do that within a community of vital friends and of, of people who are fellow journey, fellow travelers on the journey and um, that kind of thing. And you did that really well in relationship with the other people in the group. So I think that's, I mean, I'm just, I'm really glad. I'm really glad that uh, that helped. I would say, um, you know, in terms of the book, it's a, um, it was, it was a book that was uh, laborious to write. And I hope I never <laughs> have to write another one. Uh, but we really began to believe uh, as our uptick board began to believe that truly our heart is our tagline for years has been transformation through sharing. So that's not only something we hope describes the uptick process itself within itself, but it also describes our heart in terms of we would love to see all sorts of individuals and organizations have an intentional process around investing in the emerging generation of leaders. Mm -hmm. And um, it's not that we are the best way, the only way, uh, sometimes maybe not even the right way, but we are, we are a way that has 13 years now of experience with hundreds of leaders. And the book tries to codify what we've learned about that. And, you know, what we've learned all the way from how do you recruit the right kind of leaders? That's, you get that right, you've got the big part of the work done. Uh, how do you find people who are willing to be champions for this, to help you find leaders, to help you form leaders? Um, and, and, you know, very practical things too, like how do you figure out how to, how to pay for something like this? Mm -hmm. So, you know, we've had 13 years of trial and error and learn some things not to do and learn some things to do. And our goal is to just share this with whoever wants it. I can't even imagine the applications um, that are that are yet to be discovered by this. So, um, you know, that's why the book was written. And, and all the all of this, um, you can get the book on Amazon. And all of the proceeds for it just go to, to continue to fuel ongoing work of uptick. They go toward future uptick groups. So um, it's just it, we're very open-handed about what it's trying to accomplish. That's awesome. And we're going to link that. We'll link the book in the show notes. So for anyone that's listening who says, oh, this is a resource that I need to get my hands on, um, just go into the show notes and we'll link it right to the uh, Amazon store where you can pick that up yourself. And, and I just, I cannot um, speak highly enough of the uptick model because it's the model of Jesus. And, and it really was the uh, tipping point 
in, in my own journey. And so I just, you know, I've said it before and I'll say it again, just thank you. Um, thank you, John, and to the entire team who leads with you and serves with you. Um, and just being an obedient voice for being someone who is incredibly gifted and talented and wise and passionate and who has said, you know, with all the things that you could be doing has said, you know what, I want to advance the kingdom of God and I want to take everything that I have. And like you said, live open-handedly and pour that into others. And so I am absolutely, you know, the wife I am today, the mom I am today, the pastor I am today, the leader I am today, because of your willingness to invite me to say, follow me, come alongside, follow me as I follow Jesus and, and to pour that in. And I think, um, it's, you know, the desire of my heart to live in that same way, to take everything that I have and to live open-handedly and to be able to say, who around me can I pour this into? And for that to be the true legacy of our leaderships is how much we were willing to just give into the lives of others. I think, you know, there's nothing more beautiful to be able to say about the legacy of a leader except for that, that they invested and developed and poured into other leaders. And so just on behalf of myself and uptickers around the world and everyone who's listening, um, just thank you. It's incredibly humbling and kind of you to say that, Sian. I feel the same way about you. I, I marvel at, um, at the kind of leader you are and disciple you are, and you are uh, reaching people that I, have, I would have no chance to reach. And that's why we have to do what we do in community, because you have the opportunity to connect with people that I don't even know are out in the world and vice versa. And, you know, it's why Jesus gathered a band of disciples around him. There's as much side to side learning about discipleship as there is front to back or anything like that. Yeah, that's so good. And I think if there was anything that our listeners could grab onto, it would be that, that your influence truly does have impact. Whether I'm, you know, talking to the parent who's at home with their band of children or the pastor with their band of staff or the business owner or, um, you know, whoever it may be, every single one of us has influence and that influence has an impact when we are intentionally looking around and saying, okay, who has God positioned around me that I need to be pouring into, that I need to be inviting into relationship, covenant relationship, and then challenging towards growth. There's there's nothing um, more beautiful or more gospel-centric than that. So thank you so much um, on behalf of everybody for taking the time to be with us today and for sharing your heart. It was really an honor, and we so appreciate it, John. Well, it's great to be with you again, Sion. Thank you for asking me about this stuff and best blessings to you. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Table Leadership Podcast. Be sure to check out the show notes for links to the resources that were discussed at the table today and to connect with today's guest. Remember to subscribe to the Table Podcast and follow along on social media at the Table Leadership. Visit thetableleadership.com to learn more about current courses and coaching opportunities. And finally, you can connect with me, your host, at cionedgerton.com or on social media at cionedgerton. I look forward to the next time that you pull up a seat at the table.